Building Trust in Government is a monthly podcast sponsored by MITRE and its Center for Data-Driven Policy, informing national policy with objective, nonpartisan insights. Hello, and welcome to the latest episode of the podcast series, Building Trust in Government, a conversation with leaders in government, industry, academia, and the nonprofit community on how to create better outcomes through policy and partnerships. I'm Jim Cook, MITRE Vice President for Strategic Engagement and Partnerships. Today's conversation is going to focus on a topic key to U.S. competitiveness and national security, leadership in quantum technology. I'm honored to have two very special guests joining me today, Dr. Celia Mertzbacher, the Executive Director of the Quantum Economic Development Consortium, or QEDC, managed by SRI International, and Stu Solomon, President and Chief Executive Officer of Connected DMV. So let's jump right in. I'd like to actually start and ask if you could both briefly describe what your organizations do and your specific role in quantum. Celia, why don't we start with you? Well, thanks a lot, Jim. It's great to be here. Um, QEDC is a consortium of stakeholders managed by SRI International that aims to enable and grow the quantum industry. Um, QEDC was called for in the National Quantum Initiative Act, passed in 2018, and we received startup funding from the National Institute of Standards and Technology, or NIST, in the Department of Commerce. Today, QEDC has about 250 members from corporations, universities, government labs, and, and others, and it's growing. Um, it's a broad cross-section of companies based in the U.S. and around the world, so we've opened up to uh, international participants as well, and that's really because quantum innovation is happening worldwide. QEDC's mission is to identify gaps in the quantum ecosystem. Those can be gaps in technology, including non-quantum tech like lasers and cryogenics, and gaps in standards and gaps in workforce. Um, all of the gaps that need to be filled in order to realize the potential of this exciting technology. Yeah, thanks, Stu. Thanks, Jim. And Connected DMV, we are a nonprofit based here in Greater Washington. And our uh, mission is really to work together across sectors. So we work across industry, government, academia, community, and we work on solutions. We're a solutions-based organization. So we architect solutions, design solutions, deliver solutions, but we do it in a cross-sector way. So we bring together, uh, in fact, our organization, uh, we don't have members, uh, but we work on behalf of the region itself, but we work on regional initiatives national initiatives and, and global initiatives, because they all impact the, the cities, the regions, if you will, where we, where we work and live. And so we've got a team of architects, designers, uh, solutions, but we also convene local leaders. So we've got a, a group of 70 local leaders that come together on a regular basis to help us shape the future direction for the region and incorporate the most important initiatives, challenges, uh, and opportunities that we can be addressing. So responsible economic growth would be our mantra, if you will, for the region, but working through science and technology to affect that. So specifically, what does that mean in terms of your work in quantum in the D.C., Maryland, and Virginia region? And so uh, for quantum, I mean, we're incredibly fortunate here in greater Washington because we've got so many uh, quantum uh, interests and resources. Um, but what that means for us here is we, we created a Potomac Quantum Innovation Center and the idea there was to get cross-sector leaders together from within our region to help shape and advance what our region could look like in a quantum, uh, for the quantum future. So in terms of quantum, I know for many people it conjures images of a science fiction story. 
How would you really plainly describe for our audience what we're talking about when we talk about quantum today and why should we care? Well, um, I think that what we don't always realize or think about is that quantum is all around us. It's really the behavior of materials when you get to very small scales. And so it's enabled by nanoscience and nanotechnology. That's a field that's been around for a number of years now. And we've learned so much, even though the physics of quantum has been a field of research for a long time, 100 years, um, the ability to really measure and control materials at that length scale is what's sort of new and enabling. And that's really underpinning the ability to do things that are practical with those quantum behaviors that are in, in all kinds of materials. And so it's, it's not so um, mysterious when you start <laughs> to think about it that way. And, and I'll just say, um, I like to point out sometimes that it's almost more amazing that we're able to represent our diverse, colorful world with ones and zeros. Really, everything is much more quantum. And so using quantum technology to uh, control and, and use and compute is, is again, very enabling and it opens all kinds of possibilities. Stu? Yeah, Jim, it is, I mean, it's fascinating to me because we, uh, we tend to think about what we know. And what we know, we were taught in school kind of at the atom level and up. And as Celia said, we're talking about the tiny world now, the world that we can't see. And frequently we impose what we know about the big world that we can upon the tiny world that we can't. And I think quantum is really helping us see that there are differences there. Those are, those are really important and can really help shape for the good the way society works and functions going forward. So history tells us that new technology emerges and matures over about a 30-year period, uh, starting with initial foundational research and eventually resulting in widespread commercial application. With that in mind, where do you think we are in the life cycle for quantum technology development? Well, um, I think we're kind of right in the middle. Um, certainly, there's been a lot of science that's been invested in for um, 15, 20, or more years. Um, I think it's important to understand that the uses of this technology are for many different purposes beyond just computing, but also for networking and communications and for sensing. And some of those applications are closer, especially in the areas of sensing for biomedical imaging, for example. Um, and then others are longer term, and there's some real tough challenges that are going to have to be overcome. Um, but there's spillover benefits from some of those early wins in achieving some of the longer term goals as well. Mm -hmm. Stu? And, you know, I think some, as Celia pointed out earlier, uh, we think about the theory work that's been going on, the observation, the measurement, the theory that's been going on for over 100 years. So that may be unusually long for us in most innovation cycles, um, but that, that theory is now turning into reality. So the, the, the theories are turning into practical use, and I think we kind of sit right at, right, at, right at that intersection right now, and I think evidenced by some of the work that NIST is doing, some of the work NSF is doing, they're kind of showing us that, hey, there's, an, uh, there's a basic research side and there's an applied side, and right now that we're at that crossover point, I believe, from the basic research into the applied world where we're going to see the acceleration and growth. Mm -hmm. So there are quantum, there are real applications for quantum technology today, then. That, 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 could, you, could you highlight a few uh, additional ones? 
Forced? I'll, um, I'll mention a couple. Um, again, in the area of sensing, which is mm -hmm. a little bit more um, further along, um, there's the ability to measure the environment. Quantum states of matter are extremely sensitive to their surroundings, and that's why they make good sensors. And so you can use a quantum sensor to measure um, electrical activities in the body much more sensitively and potentially without having to put uh, you know, the patient into a big MRI-type machine that uh, can be limiting. You can't necessarily make measurements while the person's moving and so on. So um, those are some of the applications that are fairly close in the future. And um, then there are applications that are of interest to um, defense and, and uh, the military for navigation, especially in, if GPS is knocked out, for instance. So those are some of the applications mm -hmm. that are um, more in the near term. Um, longer term, things like uh, communications and networking, there are challenges there because some of the principles of standard telecommunications don't apply because, again, quantum states of information are very sensitive to the environment, so you can't just use simple repeaters to extend the range, for instance, mm -hmm. of a network. You've both talked in your work about the importance of partnerships or relationships and alliances. What role are alliances playing in your view, both internationally and domestically, and especially here in the D.C., Maryland, and Virginia region, um, how do you think we stand in terms of national leadership and capability? Stu? I think we're positioned incredibly well. In fact, I don't think there's a better location uh, in the world that we could basically provide leadership for quantum than, than here in greater Washington. And uh, we just hosted the Quantum World Congress uh, a month ago here in greater Washington, and we brought together leaders from all sectors. And not just from all sectors, we also brought together leaders from the international community uh, here in greater Washington to, to discuss quantum. But, but to discuss it outside of our traditional silos and the areas uh, in the communities where we associate on, on a most regular basis and say, well, as we look across the whole ecosystem, how do we really come, come together to do that? And I thought it was you know, just incredible that when you looked throughout the room, you saw regulators, policymakers, industry practitioners, academics, the federal labs, the financers, the startup community, the White House, NSA, NSF, NIST, NASA, DOE. When you look at this incredible list of uh, cross-sector participants that were together to discuss this very important topic. But then when you layer on top of that the international community and some of the exciting work Celia is working on this. We're working on this as well. Some of the exciting work happening in the international community, uh, it's, it's just incredible. And I think the right way for us to come together as a greater quantum community early and in a cross-sector way so that we can get better speed and better outcomes at the end. Mm -hmm. Anything you want to add to it? I just want to say that I feel that alliances are critical. No one organization has all the pieces that are going to be critical to achieving the, um, the goals. And <clears throat> so you really need an ecosystem. And it's multidisciplinary, it's multi-sector, it's multinational. So um, that's going to be a collaboration that's going to be essential. We're going to take a quick break. I'm Jim Cook, and you're listening to Building Trust in Government. When we come back, we're going to talk more about the issues the U.S. must address to lead on quantum development and use and some of the policy implications as well. 
The world is full of challenges, and at MITRE, we're ready to take them head on. We're working on some of the world's most difficult problems. We're here to create a safer world. We are a world-class team of innovators, thought leaders, visionaries, and doers. We know we are called to do more, do better, think differently, and move faster. And at MITRE, we're meeting those challenges every day. We're solving problems for a safer world. Discover MITRE.org. We're back now on Building Trust in Government. I'm Jim Cook with MITRE, and I'm here with Dr. Celia Mertzbacher with the Quantum Economic Development Consortium at SRI International and Stu Solomon with Connected DMV. We're discussing an issue of strategic competitiveness and national security importance, U.S. leadership on quantum technology. So we left, last left off talking about alliances and the importance of alliances and partnerships. What are some of the key issues that you think we need to be tackling now and in the immediate future to make sure the U.S. leads globally on quantum? Why are they important? And what are each of you doing in your organizations to help? Celia? Well, I would uh, put at the top of the list workforce development. It's critical to being able to continue to do the research. It's critical for the companies that are developing the technology and ultimately it's going to be critical for the users of the technology as well. So there are going to be a lot of needs for quantum ready workers. Um, and, and the investing in research at universities helps to train that workforce, but again, it needs to be expanded considerably and there is a gap right now between the supply and demand. Another issue are the policies that help support and sustain innovation and help companies to compete globally. Um, and that includes in areas like export control that are still rather um, uncertain, and, and so there's a lot of um, important work to be done there. Um, QEDC is really driven by its members, um, and they're building businesses, looking for new markets, looking for customers, looking for government funding to help de-risk their technologies. And um, so we're forming a trusted community among all the different sectors to help um, solve problems that are common and move forward faster. Stu, how about Connected DMV? And Jim, I promise you we didn't compare notes on this, but interestingly, <laughs> our, top, uh, our top, uh, top issue and priority is also developing the workforce, and we think that's critical. And as Celia mentioned, it's not just for the scientists. It's not just for you know, the 1%, if you will, at the top, but the whole workforce and ecosystem needs to be developed. And to that end, we, uh, you know, we ran a summer immersion program uh, for quantum this summer with George Mason with a cohort of uh, high school students. And it was really eye-opening and already several of them have changed their directions and focused interest uh, to pursue uh, quantum-based uh, careers. But also, in addition to the students, the teachers need to be equipped. And so we've got an initiative uh, that, we're, that we've been working on to develop the, uh, to do the professional development work for the K-14 teachers so that they can provide the appropriate introductions and early materials uh, for folks to learn about quantum for the students. Um, our second priority also is uh, policy, ethics, standards, and regulation. So we would bundle those together and say this is an important uh, focus area for us. Washington's really important in this part of the equation as well. Uh, we announced at the Quantum World Congress a Quantum Policy and Ethics Center here in Washington that 14 organizations are coming together to develop. And really the notion there is let's develop an open square early where there can policy doesn't need to divide us. In fact, it can unite us. Thirdly, I think we would say the supply chain is really important and the security issues around that. So that would be the third issue I think that we would point out. 
is really getting the appropriate security control standards uh, built into the supply chain and do that in a methodical, thoughtful way in advance so that we don't end up retrofitting or reacting uh, to issues downstream. So, so no doubt the workforce is an important topic and you're both focusing on that. You both talked about policy. Let's talk a little bit more about policy. Um, what role do you think policy really plays to help enable and even accelerate efforts? And how would you explain that to folks who think that policy at this stage of the development life cycle is only going to stymie innovation? Why do you think it's important to begin thinking about policy now? Stu? I think, uh, again, I think policy can be an accelerator for us, not, uh, not a holdback, but it's really important in how we address that. So if policy is put together without a cross-sector approach, we believe it can be an obstacle. But if we can come together early and have shared, uh, you know, identify our shared objectives and where we're headed, then I think policy can be shaped in a way that it fits the entire solution and we don't end up in this iterative retrofitting uh, process around policy. Celia? Um, I think that there's a lot that government can do with policy knobs to, to help here. Quantum is a very early stage technology, and um, as government can often, or has done in the past, um, it can be an early adopter. It can assure some early markets so that the private sector can um, move forward with some confidence. And um, in the case of quantum computing, for instance, there's a program called Quest, Quantum User Expansion for Science and Technology. It's been authorized but not appropriated, so it's intended to set aside some funding that would allow researchers to take that money and use quantum computers that are available today. That would allow for the quantum computer makers to be able to start generating some revenue. The people who would do the work would include students who would graduate and go to work in the industry. So it would really be a win-win kind of program. And um, while we're waiting for those funds to come, other countries are implementing similar ones. So it's, it, there's some urgency there. Um, government also needs to be, as I mentioned earlier, I think a little cautious about use of certain controls. Um, there are threats, and we don't want to lose the quantum race. But um, you have to use those kinds of tools carefully. So I think, again, there needs to be conversations between the industry that's trying to innovate and uh, the government mm -hmm. who's trying to regulate. What are some of the other important steps that you think the private sector and government can take together to continue to drive and sustain innovation and application of quantum technologies? I'll um, jump in here. Um, first of all, I, I think this is sort of goes without saying, but the government needs to keep investing in the, the basic research. Um, that's a role that only government really will fill. And there are quantum national programs all around the world. So we really can't take our foot off the gas when it comes to investing in the fundamental research, which then spills out and is, is uh, commercialized by the private sector. Um, participating in QEDC and, and considering addressing gaps. So QEDC is open to government participants, and, and we welcome them to come and be part of the conversation. And, um, and you know, industry can be, it's a trusted community, as I said. It's a, a place where there can be open conversations um, from all viewpoints. And um, finally, I think government could help to build capacity to do the early fabrication and characterization and testing and validation that 
can be very technically challenging and not every company can afford to have the expensive equipment. So government might create some facilities where that kind of work can happen today. Stu, what do you think? Yeah, and I think to that point, I mean, the applied research, abs or the basic research, absolutely government needs to continue uh, investing uh, as they have been. But in addition, you know, we're encouraged to see NSF's TIP directorate, the Technology Innovation Partnership uh, new directorate uh, developed, uh, stood up at NSF this uh, past year, uh, where they're really looking at the applied side. So as Celia is saying, how do we take the basic research and move it forward into the commercialization world? TIP kind of sits at that intersection in the fact that they're now investing in this too to help enable that transition as industries working hard, I think is really important to see that commitment in the intersection. In addition to that, I think you know, we've got to invest in the startup community. So we've got lots of innovators out there. They're looking for, uh, they need funding, they need support, uh, they need ways to integrate, they need to know what the rules are. And so I think we need to be building out pretty intentionally what that startup environment looks like and bringing the financial community in that uh, to support them, not just relying on government funding, but finding good ways to bring in uh, the kind of the early stage investors for these uh, startup companies in quantum. I'll add that um, a lot of people heard when the Chips and Science Act was passed, and that was uh, an enormous investment in the nation's manufacturing in the semiconductor space, but the science part includes a lot of spending for quantum. That part wasn't fully funded yet. So, um, you know, I think it's really important for the folks who do the appropriating um, to make sure that they do invest in the part, the science part of chips and science. That's really the future. Are there other things that you think uh, policymakers and Congress in particular can do to support this, these types of efforts overall? One that I'll mention, and this is not quantum specific, is uh, streamlining the visa process so that people who have certain skills can navigate that system more easily. Um, there have been some interesting inter you know, reinterpretations or use of existing authorities on the administrative side to um, be able to expand the existing visas, but there's opportunities there, I think, to, again, attract the best and the mm -hmm. brightest. We're competing um, with the whole world in this area. And so we want to grow our own and we want to also um, attract really good talent too. Stu? And I, I think it's on growing our own. I think our ability to incorporate, um, to incorporate the local communities is great as well. And the Department of Commerce is investing uh, to be able to do that through local innovation hubs for industry sectors. All right. Well, I'd like to thank Dr. Celia Mertzbacher from QEDC at SRI International and Stu Solomon with Connected DMV for joining me to talk about global competition and leadership on quantum technology. Stu, Celia, thanks for your insights and for your leadership on this critical issue. I invite our listeners to join us next month for the final episode of this podcast series. I'm Jim Cook. You're listening to Building Trust in Government, brought to you by MITRE's Center for Data-Driven Policy on Federal News Network. Building Trust in Government is sponsored by MITRE and its Center for Data-Driven Policy, bringing evidence-based insights to government policymaking. Discover more at MITRE.org slash Policy Center.
Policymakers are faced with turning workable ideas into actionable policies. MITRE's Center for Data-Driven Policy delivers objective, evidence-based, nonpartisan insights to government policymaking. We work in the public interest and serve as a bridge across government, industry, and academia. MITRE applies a whole-of-nation approach to our biggest challenges in national security, science and technology, cyber, and domestic policy. At MITRE, our mission is solving problems for a safer world. Discover how at MITRE.org slash policy center.